Hello, tentative listener. We're looking for well-rounded designers to join our teams in Austin, Boston, London, New York, Raleigh, and San Francisco who are interested in growing their design and consulting skill set over time. As a designer at ThoughtBot, you collaborate with developers and clients to turn ideas into great products that people love to use and help grow successful businesses. ThoughtBot works with companies in every step of the process to help identify and solve problems. We lead and participate in product design sprints, build high-quality apps, and then deploy them. We use emerging and effective technologies and methods on both internal and client projects. We believe there is a better way to work, and we want to find it and share it with as many people as possible. Visit ThoughtBot.com jobs to learn more about working at ThoughtBot and to apply. Remember when I said it would take about 15 minutes to, to set up? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're running a little over time. Yeah. But you called it though. Like I, I thought for sure by coming in and setting up early, I thought, oh, surely this is, but yeah. Nope. Always budget more time. <laughs> so this is the part where we sort of frame out a little bit about what we're going to talk about. I mean, it's tentative. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's in the name. (laughs) It would probably be good for you to introduce yourself, or if you want, uh, Tyson and Kieran made me introduce them, Ah. which was sort of mean on their end. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Do you mind giving yourself uh, an introduction so that people... Who are regular listeners know that you are not Jackie, and in fact, someone different. That's right. So I am not Jackie or Jacqueline. <laughs> My name is Skipper Chung Warson. I have recently come to ThoughtBot to be the design director in the San Francisco studio. I have traversed the length of the country to do that, among other things. I've worked in product design generally for the last 10 plus years of my career, and I got to a point in my work life where I looked around and after living and working in New York for 10 years, I wanted to try something different. So when I saw the role posted from ThoughtBot looking for a design director, I was really interested in the wide scope of responsibilities and also in working at ThoughtBot. You're giving much more official. Oh, like... am I? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So way more, way more official. Okay. So maybe I should, maybe I should stop the official part there. Sure. Okay. <laughs> it's up to you. Okay. This is your podcast. Okay. Well, it's a co- it's a collaborative effort, right? Because if if it was just me talking into a microphone for you know twenty minutes, I think it would be a very different product than talking with you. That's probably true. Yeah. It's the same here. Although, I mean, I could probably talk to myself and and pretend to be you, and <laughs> maybe get a good idea of like Kyle and Skipper conversation. It'd come out really weird. <laughs> In a previous life. When I worked at Fjord, I started a podcast while I was there. And it was my idea. I brought it to the studio. I recruited people to come in and have these conversations. But I had this idea in my head, this notion that they would be very impromptu conversations. And much like the water cooler conversations or the hallway conversations that we would have around the studio. So I would sit in the room, the first like three that we did, I would sit in the room with like a Tascam recorder. And as people were talking, I would interject and assign someone to, okay, Neve, you say that thing, or, you know, Hideki, you say that thing. 
And they would look at me like, well, why don't you just say it? Because you clearly want to say it. And if this is an inclusive conversation, then you should be a part of it. But the first three are me trying desperately to cut myself out of it. Was there a reason that you wanted to cut yourself out? So the way that I had positioned the particular product, the, the podcast, was that I wanted it to be about the other folks in the studio. I didn't want it to be about, you know, the directors. I didn't want it to be about our CEO. I didn't want it to be around any of those people that I felt like had enough of a stage or enough of a, a way in which they could amplify their message. So I wanted this to be a little bit smaller and much more personable. Um, so mm-hmm. that was my idea. And I didn't want to have... I mean, never mind that I was throwing out the window, you know, years and years of broadcast format of, you know, having like a host who would facilitate conversations, <laughs> you know, this idea of like, no, I want other people to talk. Um, I just want to help the conversation. I don't want, I don't want to be listened to. That sort of funny, especially the way that you put it, of like ignoring years of broadcasting experience. That's right. Uh, just throwing all that out the window. Yeah. It's also interesting, like I've seen, even for me, like once you put a like a big old mic in front of someone, you can't have those same kinds of conversations that you would like sitting down eating lunch. It takes a little while to like warm up, yeah, so to speak. That's very true. I've tried to recently do that in my personal life um, with my wife and her parents. Both of her parents, her mom and her dad, have such a rich storytelling persona, and they also contain all of the unique parts of like their experience. And I think that I want to make sure that my wife has a thread to that. I mean, she has a very real tangible relationship with her parents, but you know, I also know that as far as I know, we don't live forever. (laughs) So, you know, they're not going to be around, you know, for all time to tell her these stories. And so I have tried to sit down, you know, with a microphone in front of them. And the instant that microphone appears, even if it's a small, like in the middle of the table, not like a big boom thing coming over with like a spit guard and all of that. But like even just a small thing, once that gets turned on, everything changes. People are awkward. (laughs) That's right. They freeze up all of a sudden. I mean, Laura's mother like starts banging the table with her leg. And I'm like, why are you doing that? (laughs) Please stop (laughs) jostling the microphone. (laughs) Yeah. So I I do know that there's a very real difference between, you know, like putting a microphone in front of someone and, you know, being performative instead of just being natural and saying something. Yeah. The same thing with video calls as well. It's this like level of awkwardness or maybe it just like amplifies my own awkwardness. Mm. Uh, It's just like Kyle's already a little awkward. We're going to throw him on a computer screen and 10x that awkwardness for you for the next half hour. Thanks. Do you think of yourself as an awkward person? I do. Do you not? Have I fooled you so far? (laughs) This is the first I've heard of it. So I I think that your presentation layer definitely uh, throws some smokescreen in front of that. Yeah, I think that some of that is like partially because (laughs) we've only met through the screen. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So you haven't seen me day in, day out. One of the things that I've been very interested in, like self-awareness, I've always been self-conscious, I guess, of my awkwardness especially as a, you know, teenager, high schooler, that tends to not be a acceptable quality. Being awkward. Being awkward, yeah. Mm. But then I think as I identify it, and maybe this is like meditation coming out of me, but like as I identify it, I'm more okay with it. And my internal worry about it is less, and I sort of can make fun of myself for it, which maybe amplifies it. I don't know. 
I don't know either. That self-consciousness definitely amplifies it from time to time. I also feel like there are some people who can dive right into that tension and embrace it. I would say that I, I used to be a really shy kid up until my second year of high school, where I discovered the speech and debate team. That, in a very real way, made me face my fears of getting in front of people and speaking. And that's something that I think that since then, I have felt way more confident about. However, I don't necessarily think that I'm good at it. Because for everyone, including myself, there's a certain amount of preparation that has to go through it. I'm never going to be an off-the-cuff speaker. It's something that you know I sort of have to like brace and steel myself for the situation at hand. I'm wholeheartedly there with you. <laughs> uh, I didn't have the opportunity to do speech or, or any kind of speech debate. I think probably at the time I would not have done it, but like Kyle now would have loved to force Kyle like in high school to do something like that. Just because, mm. you know, the more I've given talks, the more I do things like the workshop that I just gave, like the more twice. comfortable you I feel. You gave it twice. Yeah. I gave it twice. And certainly like the more reps you do, the more comfortable you feel in front of people, even if they're not even faces on a camera. They're just a number. Yeah. I was thinking about that this week. Apple had a special event where they announced the new iPhones and, you know, they announced Apple Arcade and TV Plus and a bunch of other products. I was thinking about that when both the Apple folks were coming out to sort of do their spiel, right, as Tim called them out. But then I also thought about that when they were doing the like some of the game demos and some of the other things, typically for people who didn't watch it, they would have like someone from the company come out. And then if it was a game demo, they would have someone else playing the game. I mean, no pressure playing a video game and, you know, sort of <laughs> doing it exactly in the right way that the script needed to go. Yeah, at least you're not sort of in front. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that. I've always thought that sometimes those are just videos that they've staged the whole thing. You know, I wondered if they were as well. Do you read um, Daring Fireball, John Gruber's blog? I have in the past, but I haven't recently. There's a thing that he wrote up specifically about like some of the game demos. And I think he brings in someone from Ubisoft or tracks down a piece of tape from someone from Ubisoft who did a demo in like 2011, 2010, somewhere around there. Um, and they were demoing Guitar Hero. And <laughs> so this guy was talking about how there are like two weeks worth of rehearsals to like get this event right beforehand, <laughs> which was shocking to me. Two weeks seems like an incredible amount of time. However, all of those events always seem so polished. So I'm also not surprised. He also talked about how for this particular demo, he had to play it live because I guess the developers weren't able to get a build of the game put together in such a way that they could script it or walk through it. And this guy <laughs> talked about... I'll look it up while I'm telling the story. But he, he talked about how he got up on stage for the dress rehearsal and Steve Jobs apparently was in the audience. And, you know, after he played the game, you know, he was really nervous. I mean, he practiced it a ton of times before, but he could feel his fingers going numb and he wasn't doing as well as he normally does. And, you know, after he was done and he walked off stage, he got a note from one of the technical people that says, you know, Steve would really like you to get five stars. Because apparently he got four <laughs> out of five stars. <laughs> That's so daunting. <laughs> That's so daunting. I mean, the CEO of Apple is just like, yeah, I want you to get five stars on that game because, you know, we don't do four-star games. Come on. I like the the wording of the first way you did that, though. It's like almost like mafioso-like. We would really like you to get five stars. 
That's right. It's just like this hidden indication of like, if you get four stars, you're offed. A very strong suggestion. <laughs> His name is Jason Schroeder, by the way. That's a good name. That is a good name. It's a great story about sort of that live performance aspect and how in life we have so many of those. And I think that to circle back around to my introduction, I think that's one of the things that I was looking for in leaving a city that I've lived and worked in for 10 years is that how do you sort of take things up a notch, right? You know, in a previous show, you and Jackie talked about, you know, how it's really work-home balance and not necessarily work-life balance. But in my home life, you know, there's definitely a lot of tension about sort of that startup environment of like, how do we start living in this new physical space? Moving from a thousand square foot apartment in New York, actually sub a thousand. I always say a thousand, but I have to remind myself that it was actually sub 1000 square feet (laughs) to we now live in a house with a garage that's over 1400 square feet. It's ridiculous. I don't, I don't even know what to do in at least two of the rooms. That's when you get stuff and then you realize that you have so much stuff and you wondered where (laughs) it all came from. Yeah, that's definitely the mode that we're in. Like we're trying not to fill up the house because once you fill up the house, like it's hard to unfill. But at the same time, you don't want to walk into a room and it have nothing. Like there's something very weird about that feeling. I wonder like if there's some like, like leave it empty until you have a purpose for it. Mm. just living with that tension may make you give the room a little purpose. Makes sense. Like don't operate your house like a fidget spinner. Like everything has to have sort of like a tchotchke <laughs> or like decoration. Yeah. I, th- I think that makes sense. I, I leave all of that to my partner. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like hands off. And I think our relationship <laughs> is, is better for it. <laughs> she does a wonderful job figuring all of that stuff out and she enjoys it. Yeah, I I do think giving people that opportunity space to sort of work without needing to sort of check in, I think is super important. Though I am looking forward to the next part of my home life where we're not using moving boxes as furniture. Like, (laughs) there's at least one room that we have that has a lamp on top of a moving box. And I very much look forward to not having that moving box as a piece of furniture in my house. Yeah, I can fully understand that. As someone who's moved multiple times. It's really interesting. You mentioned two weeks that they rehearse. I wonder if they like rehearse it every day for two weeks. But like, also, who are they rehearsing it in front of too? Like, you know, when Steve Jobs was still working and and living, like, was he the sole person in the audience? And like, that would make it more scary to me. It's almost like when we see in TV and movies that portrayal of, like an empty theater and in the back is the director. Right. And, you know, I think it's even to your point, it's even creepier that Steve jobs or whoever it is that that sort of like director who sits in the back didn't just call out. We really want you to get a five. Like that's something you need to work on. (laughs) Like didn't actually give that input face to face, just delivered it through. That's right. Through a proxy. That's actually the podcast that John Gruber links to. They actually talk about that. Like, wouldn't it be great to live your life through proxies? Just have other people tell other people what to do? I think that sounds awful. It does sound awful, right? Like, yeah, I I would like the sort of a little bit of the freedom that it might give you about not having to like go do these things. However, I don't like the non face to face or, you know, person to person interaction. 
I also think that that leaves like, even in this example, it leaves so much to interpretation and so much of the way that like to bring this back to the way that we work at ThoughtBot, we always want direct contact with the decision maker. We never want that like telephone game or yeah. dealing with a proxy. It so. gets very dangerous. I, I remember a project that I was on in a previous work environment and the folks that were the stakeholders on the project didn't show up for any sort of the regular meetings that we had set up, any of the client sessions that we had put together um, and all the work that we'd done, both in terms of the presentation layer, but then also about ways in which we could collaborate and sort of like build the next segment of work together. And then a couple months down the line, we received some feedback that the project was just going south, which is something that we were totally surprised by because there was just no engagement on the client side. So if they're not engaged in this process, how can we know whether things are going not according to their expectations? Yeah, I've, I've only sort of dealt with that once here at ThoughtBot. We had a client, it was a bigger company, and the product owner in terms of the company was lower level than mm. a lot of it was like a, a company-wide thing. So they had like marketing and research and sales. And they all had like a director level or above that in this design sprint. And the product owner was like a level or at least two levels like below those people. Mm-hmm. And so she unfortunately f- felt like a proxy for them because she was trying to please them all. Um, and when you try to please everyone, you please no one. Yeah. And it was like playing that out in real time. That's a tricky thing to sort of negotiate the politics of that relationship. A lot of times at Fjord, we would call some of these workshops rumbles. And so we would try to get a wide variety of people in a room together, stakeholders, C-level folks, people who work on the product, et cetera, et cetera. We never identified who they were on their name tags. But usually by the time lunch came around, we could tell who was who. Um, We could tell who was whose supervisor, who worked under who. And so, you know, one of the things that we did try to do is we tried to mix up the room from how people would normally land in the room. So people are going to probably sit next to people that they know naturally. So usually after the first sort of like introduction and, you know, basic framework for what we were going to do that day, um, we would have everyone count off, right? And we need groups of eight, we would have everyone count off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and all the ones would get together and all the you know, twos would get together, et cetera. But I do think that to, to break up some of those natural ways in which we sort of sort ourselves according to different structures in our work environment um, and in home too. I mean, I went to a, a parent teacher thing the other night and we did the same thing amongst all of the parents in my daughter's school. So there's a real benefit to mixing up our natural inclinations, right? Some people like to sit at the front of the room. Some people like to sit at the back of the room. Some people like to sit with their friends. Some people want to sit as far away from, you know, that person they don't like, or they don't, they do want to sit with their boss because they're trying to impress them or whatever it is. Yeah. It's certainly sort of interesting to see all those dynamics happen. (laughs) I'm usually the one in the back of the room, just watching everyone to see what they're doing. So I take like a third person perspective. One of the things that I always find so helpful in workshops is when limiting beliefs reveal themselves. And I think one of the most common limiting belief that surfaces up in a workshop, especially the kind that we do in our line of work, 
where you know we want people to draw and like write things and visualize the things that are in their head is that statement i can't draw <laughs> that is one of the most frustrating things that i have ever heard in my life yeah my usual answer is like i i've chosen specific tools that no one can draw with so uh we're <laughs> all in the same post-its. yeah yeah we're all in the same boat with these like crude drawing instruments so just sort of get over the notion that you can't draw because none of the rest of us can draw with these sharpies either <laughs> yeah i don't know that that's a that's a hot seller at the art store right the sharpie <laughs> section I knew some kids when I went to college that were amazing with a Sharpie. Man, that takes a lot of practice. <laughs> it does take a lot of practice. And concentration and time. And like <laughs> when you're telling everyone to draw a crazy eight and take 30 seconds to draw UI, no one's going to come out with like, you know, their Picasso or whatever. That's right. Pick your artist. That's right. Yeah, my point of view on the I can't draw is that I believe that unless you have a physical limitation, everyone can draw. Now, whether or not you think you draw as well as you should, that's a whole other thing. And to your point, I'm going to crib that line, Kyle, from you, that the tools that we're giving you are not intended to have you draw a beautiful thing. It's meant to facilitate that highway between your brain and this post-it or whatever the, you know, if it's a crazy eight the piece of paper, you know, facilitate getting the thing that's in your head that you're thinking of out onto paper in such a way that you can show it to other people and talk about it. And, and to that point, I'll say all of that in a nicer way, but I'll also say like, if you really don't feel comfortable drawing like circles and lines, then feel free to combine those circles and lines and draw letters and, and write out your thoughts, your ideas, that's harder to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess like good luck to you if you're going to be able to convey all of these ideas in written word succinctly as like we would be able to with a couple boxes and lines and circles and whatever. I'm not asking them to to draw anything complex. I mean, imagine if like instead of cave paintings, we had cave like diatribes i mean i don't think they would be <laughs> as illuminating or as action-packed as they are as we see these scenes of like hunting and cooking and and whatever life looked like for primitive man and woman but yeah if they had to sit down and articulate exactly what it is that they're trying to describe i mean you know, writer's block probably would have become evident much sooner uh, than it showed up in common sort of history yeah <sighs> that good a conversation, huh? <laughs> Someone on my workshop told me that yawning releases toxins. And then I proceeded to yawn like w- while we were waiting like five times. And I was like, God, I must have so many toxins. <laughs> it's funny that you yawn first, actually, because I'm a perpetual yawner, which in previous parts of my life, when I was reviewing theater or reviewing movies, I would always feel really terrible for yawning. But after about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, somewhere around there, I will start yawning for whatever reason if I'm sitting in one place. So it's also interesting that you yawned first before I did. I didn't think about that. Maybe it is like sitting in one place for a while. I used to play soccer uh, when I was a young lad. And when we used to have to do sprints around the field, everyone would be like huffing and puffing. And one of the things that I would do is like my body would force me to yawn. 
and mm. it would help me catch my breath faster. Yep. Yep. Uh, so they would notice that and be like, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you just sprinted around the soccer field and you're yawning. So are you a soccer person, not a football person? I am neither anymore. <laughs> okay. I certainly grew up uh, playing soccer. I did watch a bunch of football, but I never gravitated to any leagues while I was younger for soccer, for watching. And I've since stopped watching football for a variety of, of reasons. I feel like I have at least two failings as a modern human being in the world. And one is that I don't watch any sort of sports <laughs> unless it's put in front of me or it happens to be on in my periphery and video games. Whenever I do sit down to play a video game, I quite enjoy it, but I don't have sort of the long tail experience of video games that, you know, people talk about, you know, games that they had growing up and maybe it was living in a very strict household where video games were just not a thing that existed for me when I was seemingly of the age that most people seem to glom onto them. But yeah, if one day I ever win the lottery that I never play, I would sit and watch a lot of sports and play a lot of video games. I wonder if that's like time well spent. <laughs> I, I mean, I've certainly played my fair share of video games and I've spent probably even just this year too much time watching sports or listening. Uh, uh, so I, I'm a big baseball fan. Oh yeah, you wear a New York Yankees hat a lot. I do. I watch or listen to the Yankees. Over the last couple years, I've started listening to the games rather than watching them a lot more, oh. especially in Austin towards the end of the year and towards the beginning of the year, the evenings, it's quite nice to just sit outside and listen to a, a baseball game. And it's a lot more relaxing than mm. sitting in front of another glowing screen. Isn't one of our Supreme Court justices a New York Yankees fan? Yeah, I think it's uh, Sonia Mayor. Oh, Sonia Sotomayor. Yeah, I think she grew up in the Bronx. Oh, that's right. I'm having a vague memory about this, having just moved from New York. She was on at least one episode of Sesame Street, too. I think so. I don't know. Yeah. She went to a game earlier this year, and yeah, she grew up in the Bronx. I pulled up her Wikipedia, whatever that is. There you go. I'm sure none of our listeners have heard of that product, so. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> she did grow up in the Bronx. Confirmed. Okay. At any rate, we've gone on a, a pretty good amount of tangents. Yeah. I think it's about time we could we could wrap this thing up. Is there a place where people can get in touch or follow or hear about the things that you're working on here at Thapa or elsewhere? So uh, you can find out more about me generally at skipperchongwarson.com. I have been working on some pieces that will probably hit Medium and some other venues in the very near future. But I think, uh, yeah, if people want to find more about me, um, they can start there. Cool. You can go find the show notes at tentative.fm slash seven, eight. You can email us hosts at tentative.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at tentative FM and certainly rate us on iTunes. How awesome we are or not awesome. You can be truthful. Maybe just be the awesome part. Like <laughs> I say five stars or bust. I'm all for transparency. Uh -huh. uh, going back to what we talked about earlier. I don't want to be a proxy for people's reviews. That That's fair. And it would be cool if, uh, if some of our listeners told some of their friends um, about our show too, because that's another real way that 
um, we can diversify our audience and and just hear from more people. Yeah. Oh man, I hope they you can hear all of the noise going on outside of the Austin office. What is going outside? Is there a lot of construction happening? <laughs> we are two houses down from this company that I think you, you you've been in Austin, so you may have seen them. Yeah. They're the bike cars that essentially uh, a bunch of college students will, or maybe older. I shouldn't place any judgment. <laughs> People who are looking to have a, a, an enjoyable time by pedaling around Austin, going to bars and drinking, they'll ride their bike car down past our office and scream or sing while they're doing it to announce that they're having a really good time which I really appreciate on Friday afternoons. It's a nice sort of wind down to the week. Nice little indication that it's, you know, time to be happy. In in case you forgot that it was Friday afternoon. (laughs) In case you forgot, here's some woots for you. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, come discover a better way to work.